You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark and Towner, good afternoon. The kids are away. The the Martins are away, if you will. <laughs> the Martins are gone. Yeah. The, the Martins, Martins are, are gone. gone. <laughs> We've raised the average age of the podcast yeah. today. Very confusing, though, because it's one Patrick and two Caitlins that are gone. So it, it gets very confusing with the Martins. That that it does. Caitlin is on assignment in, I don't know, somewhere, some Republican Somewhere Powell. Republican, somewhere yeah. red. She's in uh, Sea Island, Georgia, I believe, is where yeah. And Patrick is at the Ryder Cup pretending to do something else. I don't know. No, he's not actually at the Ryder Cup. No, he's in Middleburg, Virginia with the Democrats. Speaking of the Ryder Cup, Mark, you probably don't even know that the Ryder Cup is going on. I know our guy has won twice this season so far jason somebody or another he's not on the Ryder cup team mark no but, but good job adver- no no wait but he is advertising for it on uh espn i i actually heard his voice okay wow well you know you're ahead of me then but jason co-crack mark, by the way yeah jason co-crack our cozen sponsored golfer but mark so the Ryder cup is cool if you don't know it's once every two years it's all about love of country. And at the end, tears will be shed based on winners and losers. Now, Mark, speaking of tears. And it's in Wisconsin, a Big Ten state. So all, all is Big well Ten with the state. Ryder Cup. There, were, there was a Schweitzer visit to Wisconsin uh, less than a week ago. Oh, good. But, but Mark, speaking of tears. You're so predictable, Howard. But yes, let's well, speak of tears. <laughs> only because we've been texting about it for two days. But yesterday there was a meeting at the White House and Congresswoman Jayapal from the great state of Washington cried to the president of the United States about the need to include immigration reform in the reconciliation package. Right. Also this now, week, Professor French, of course, is is going to point out that that is not a decision the president makes. Exactly. But, but we'll get to that. Well, that's a, that's kind of the point. Right. AOC this week cried on the House floor when she cast a vote present on the bill to continue to support Iron Dome funding for Israel. Towner on the other side of the aisle. All the R's have to say these days is that Biden is a socialist while they bow down at the altar of the president who stands for the former president who stands for nothing. We had and and who lost 271 votes in the fake audit in Arizona. So guys, yes, what is going on? Like this is mad. It is madness. And I want to get to where we are on reconciliation and infrastructure and the debt ceiling and the stuff that has profound implications. But the it's just madness politically right now. So make sense of it for our devout listeners. 
Well, let's start with Howard being in heaven, because not only does he get to bash AOC, but he's actually right, and he gets to defend Israel in, in doing so. And bash Trump. And bash Trump, fair enough, that both-sidism thing that Brian Flaherty loves so much. Did you did you get your AOC bobblehead from Brian, by the way? No, I, I am expecting it any day now. Okay. I want I, my uh, action tears come out? It will be a tear-stained, yes, it's a tear-stained AOC bobblehead. So I, I was anticipating your question, Howard. Surprise, surprise. And I was able to come up with a musical answer. Our our producer, Dennis, is going to be putting a sample of it uh, in, in the podcast for our listeners. But the theme song for the, the Democrats is clearly Prince and the Revolution, uh, When Doves Cry. It It is madness. It is tragic is what it is. There is so much at stake. What is happening on the R side is unconscionable, I believe. I think even though neither of you will admit it, you believe the same. And yet the Democrats are fighting about too much of a good thing. And it's got to end. And I believe it actually will. This is up to the president. This is his agenda. This is his party. He is either going to crack this deal or he's going to lose his brand, which is competence and knowing how to govern. And I think I think he gets it done. But wow, what a spectacle. What a spectacle. Jump in. Are you sure the theme song shouldn't be Tears of a Clown? I was a contender. I had a number of contenders. Cry Baby Cry from the Beatles White (laughs) Album. There, There are a number. And, yeah, and, but you chose the one that uh, framed it nicely. <laughs> I, they are doves, the two of them. So Prince captured it. So, so Towner, what's happening on your side of the aisle? Fake audits, no debt ceiling increase. We we have all sorts of chaos going on on my side of the aisle. Uh, you know, look, I think at the end of the day, there is a ideological issue going on within the Democratic Party, and that is that is clear. Uh, they're trying to figure out how they can be uh, opposed to Israel, uh, but not vote against Israel if at all possible. And that's and that's the crux of the matter there for AOC. She wants to run for Senate in New York, and you can't run for Senate in New York and be uh, opposed to Israel. Uh, it's it's physically impossible. Uh, the voting electorate's not there for you. Hence her uh, tears over her present vote. She took a she took a pass. She didn't vote yay. She didn't vote nay for the for the funding for the Iron Dome. And then you look at Jayapal, who clearly doesn't have an understanding uh, from as the leader of the Progressive Caucus as to who makes the rules. In this case, it is the we'll call it nonpartisan Senate parliamentarian. Uh, who had to make the call that under the constricted rules of budget reconciliation, a pathway to citizenship would not be allowed. It did not have a merely incidental, it has to have merely incidental effect to be excluded on the federal revenues and outlays. Meaning if you want to put it in a budget bill, it's got to affect the budget and it has to have a primary impact on the budget. And a pathway to citizenship, immigration reform, does not have a primary impact on the federal budget. 
It has an amazing amount of secondary effect, but not a primary effect. And so the Senate parliamentarians already ruled on this. Uh, pathway to citizenship will not be allowed uh, in budget reconciliation. So immigration reform, uh, the way that the Democratic caucus wants it, will also not be allowed in reconciliation. And that's a big time issue for them. And that is one of uh, half a dozen to a dozen major issues uh, that Speaker Pelosi, Majority Leader Schumer and the president are supposedly negotiating out over the course of the next 72 hours. We have chaos on our hands on Capitol Hill. Well, they're and look, all of our base case is that at the end of the day, this stuff gets done. All the stuff we're talking about is going to get either fixed or funded or, or done. It may not be, you know, it may be a two and a half trillion dollar bill, not a three point five trillion dollar deal. But Bill, but everything is going to get done. It's going to be very ugly along the way. I guess my question is, does that does that matter? Does it matter that it's no. you know, that this nonsense is going on? Absolutely. I, I don't think it matters, Howard, if, in fact, it all gets done. It will matter a lot if it doesn't, because if it doesn't all get done, then there'll be nothing to look at. But the mess that we made and how it didn't happen. But I agree with you. I think it gets done one one way or another. And I think that when you say, does it matter? It matters inside the beltway. It matters in political science classes. It doesn't matter in the midterm elections, I don't believe, if the president well, delivers. Well, that's the issue. Like everything we talk about, Look, for our purposes of our business, yes, let's talk about the midterm elections and how people are looking at it inside the Beltway. But for the purposes of the country and the national psyche and faith in government, which are not about the next election, they're about much bigger things. They're about whether the United States beats Europe at Whistling Straits more than they're about the next, next election. But... It, it, like but it's, this just isn't it's wearing on people. I, I think even if they don't really care what's going on, it's it 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 just makes just makes it look like a bunch of fools are running the country. Frankly, on both sides, town right. Mark, I'm gonna support your statement there real quick if you'll if you'll let me, only to say there was nothing more chaotic than passing the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare through largely budget reconciliation, the same thing we're talking about here. And it was it was nuts. It was it dragged on for months. There were sidecar legislative vehicles. We had a huge abortion issue with uh, former Congressman Bart Stupak. It was a mess. And nobody, nobody six months after the fact remembers how much of a mess it was to pass the ACA. They, they remembered how much the rollout was was plagued, uh, you know, getting the, the exchanges up and running and yep. the website crashing and all those things. But the legislative process was quickly forgotten uh, at the end of the day. Uh, as soon as the, the bill was signed, that was all behind them. And it was, all right, administration, we're going to judge President Obama on whether or not he implements the law, yep. not how, how messy it was to get passed. Well, I, I agree. And, and I appreciate uh, your support. Uh, good bipartisan moment here for the Beltway briefing. 
Now, I think they're going to mess up the implementation. So let me just start there. But, you know. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a guarantee. I I agree with you there also. I mean, Mark, but he can't even fill jobs. So, of course, he's going to mess up the implementation. I want to. Well, that's yet another TBD. But but here's a footnote, Towner, that I know you will uh, appreciate having lived through that mess with the ACA. Part of what you are seeing with the progressive aggressiveness on reconciliation is a hangover from 12 years ago when the progressives think they got rolled on the ACA. They got rolled on the public option. They got rolled on malpractice reform. They were told, just do it and everything will be okay. They just did it and everything wasn't okay. And there's there's some of that among the Bernie Sanders of the world who remember the last time we went through this. But but I agree it what matters is whether the president can deliver his agenda and execute on it. And the execution, <laughs> please God, it'll be better than the rollout of healthcare.gov. But yeah. but it's so housing? massive. programs today i mean that's that's you know his his the the judgment's already beginning and part of it's on the rollout of the american rescue plan uh i'm not trying to get us too far away from budget reconciliation but obviously there is a there is a housing issue uh in this country and there are billions uh that i i you know this morning they came out and said only 17 percent of the federal assistance has been expended but but i i stand by something howard that uh you and I actually were saying to Jim Schultz uh, two years ago, wow. back back in the Who? day, Who? which which is, I believe that the president's, uh, and I will say it, the president's mishandling of COVID in recent weeks is going to be far more damaging than any of the mess that's going on with making this sausage. If he can deliver yeah. his agenda, I I think he's going to get judged on COVID because COVID isn't a beltway thing. COVID isn't reconciliation. COVID is your kids going to school. And, and we are not distinguishing ourselves in recent weeks on, on our COVID plan in, in this administration. Yeah, well, start by telling me what the plan is. You don't, don't, you don't get a shot. You and Towner don't get a shot. That's all I know. Yeah, but I can walk down to CVS and get a shot. You can lie and get a shot. <laughs> I right. mean, not not that you would. I would never do that. Yeah. Mark. By the way, I don't Followed get a shot. Following last week, <laughs> Pfizer finally said my daughter can get a shot at seven years old, but the federal government hasn't said that yet. Right, right. Oh, Thanksgiving, right. <laughs> she's going to get a turkey and a shot for Thanksgiving, Towner. <laughs> No, but and look, I don't think that this is on COVID to your COVID point, Mark. I I think the whole country, I, I feel like the country is moving past COVID, it, like psychologically it's in some ways, but COVID's still very much present. It's like, I mean, people are going to stadiums and going to ball games yeah. and the stands are full at the Ryder cup that I have on my television. And I, I don't know. It's well, yeah. somebody said to me the other day, uh, exactly what you're saying. I thought it was very well put. Uh, 
COVID isn't over, but the country's over COVID. Yeah. And that's a real disconnect into which the Biden administration has has jumped with not not much clarity. Yeah. I mean, look, it's hard. I I think it was hard last year when the other guy was in charge. It's hard this year with this guy in charge. It's just it's difficult and it's a virus. It's not a foreign enemy or it, it's a virus. It's not anything we can really, really control at the end of the day. And the vaccine is clearly and, and we're always playing catch up. Well, um, to yeah. your point a minute ago about not being able to appoint people, you, how, how do you not have an FDA? Head? Right. That inexcusable. And and I love the guy, the president, that is. But but how do you not have an FDA head? That That is inexplicable. Yeah, yeah. and if you're happy with the job that the acting head is doing, then make her permanent. Yeah. Nominate her. But it's right. right. You right. It's and and I'll tell you, having been in those chairs, an acting never has the juice that a permanent nominee has, that a permanent head has. You just don't. Right. You're you're playing with one hand tied behind your back, and and that that's a poster child for this. But it's far, far, far from the only example. They are months behind where they normal six months behind where I've typically seen things with an administration coming online is what I would say five, five, six months, whatever it is. It, they are behind. They need a Mitch McConnell. They need a Mitch McConnell driving nominations. (laughs) I mean, well, (laughs) they have the United States Senate. Mitch is too busy uh, defaulting <laughs> on the debt counter. I, you're yeah. our professor. Can you can you explain to our listeners both the debt ceiling as a process and why it's okay not to pay your bills if you're a Republican? Well, I mean, I think the latter question is more about feeling and not process. But uh, no, it's uh, but it's to pay debts already incurred. We already spent the money. And this is exactly the question that's happening in Congress right now. The the debate that they're trying to put in the public sector that we're going to see a heck of a lot more of between now and default day, which looks to be October 25th, October 26th, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, you know, I got to get my booster before then. Yeah. You you have Democratic members (laughs) saying we're this is paying Trump's credit card. You know, he racked up the debt. We got to pay it off. We should do so in a bipartisan way. Republicans are out there pointing out uh, that the Democrats also would like to spend three and a half trillion dollars immediately, not to mention there's another trillion in a bipartisan infrastructure bill. And so if you raise the debt ceiling, uh, it is almost exclusively to pay for these two pieces of legislation that would immediately follow thereafter. And so, um, you know, Democrats are suffering, I think, right now from from the realization that everybody's talking about three and a half trillion dollars in new spending, even though a good chunk of it's offset, let's be honest, and with tax increases. And the the secondary point, which is, oh, we need to raise the debt ceiling. Well, it looks like the two are combined to the public, quite frankly. And so I think Democrats are going to lose this messaging that the whole Trump credit card argument 
uh, has a little less sway in the public, I think, right now. And I think Democrats are losing this argument. Yeah, I agree that we're losing the message there. Uh, we're we're not doing a good job of telling our story. Uh, Howard, you said to me the other day, I think it's right. We're not even telling a story. That's even, even worse than doing a bad job of storytelling. We're not even trying. The the increase in the debt ceiling, you know, Professor French, is not actually to spend four and a half trillion dollars because of the pay-fors and the offsets. It is predominantly money already spent, not just by Trump, but in uh, in the Rescue Act in, in earlier uh, COVID legislation. But but for sure, the the narrative is uh, is getting away from the majority party in Washington. Yeah, they're they're both correct though. Under the Trump administration, we spent right, up right, to right. the debt ceiling cap, including the American Rescue Plan, which was done under the Biden administration, by the way, right. in March of this year. Right, right. That's but most of it. Most of it was under the Trump administration. But then to spend more, to spend four and a half trillion more, you do necessarily need to raise the debt ceiling. So they're both exactly right. They're just looking at it from from a forward looking or a backward looking uh, side of the coin. Well, right. You don't need to raise it if you're paying for it. But but it is not all. Although there was a framework announced, our, our new favorite word in the Democratic Party we have a framework for paying for the three and a half trillion. It, it, it's a shame that that's where the narrative got lost. The story got lost. That that number defines the president's agenda. And and the number is going to end up being less. We all know that. And the agenda is about much more than a number. But we haven't been able to get out of our own way on it. Well, and I had a I had a conversation with a client uh, yesterday, and and the conversation I think was very enlightening to me because I was asked directly the question, why the heck did the Democrats use the three and a half trillion dollar number when uh, two point two trillion dollars worth of tax increases are included in this? They may be spending three and a half to four trillion, maybe a touch more than that, but they're offsetting over half of it. So. At the beginning of the process, you could have come out and said, as they did for the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act under Trump in 2017, we're only spending $1.5 trillion, is what Trump said at the time. They spent two and a half to three trillion dollars, but they used offsets to knock that number down to 1.5. Democrats chose to appease their progressive base at the beginning of this by putting out the biggest number they could. Three and a half trillion dollars is what we agreed to with President Biden, ignoring the offset piece. And and so that way they didn't come out and say, oh, we're only doing a trillion and a half. And it looked insignificant to the progressives who wanted six to ten trillion dollars worth of spending. Ignoring Joe Manchin. Yeah, well, now they're caught on the wrong side of that argument. They're trying no, to explain, I agree. No, 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 it's not really three and a half trillion. It's way less. But yeah, they're, they're the stuck. only the only uh, the only disagreement with what you said, I agree. We, that's when we lost the the storytelling. the The only amendment I'm going to offer to what you said is uh, everybody's blaming the progressives, and, and I've. I, I'll take an AOC bobblehead from Brian, just like Howard is. I, mine doesn't have to actually shed tears, but I'd, I'd like to knock it down because I am not a fan 
of the Congresswoman. But but actually, the president, of whom I am an enormous fan still, the president wanted that number. This He wanted to be FDR. And this is his agenda. And he wanted... No, the progressives didn't have to talk him into a bigger number. He wanted a big number because he wanted to make a statement about the most transformational domestic uh, agenda since the New Deal. And now he's he's hoisted on that number and and it is not not looking promising the number that is. But but I do think they get it done, Howard, back to your initial question. I do think they get it done. Although I got to tell you, nobody would have bet a nickel that the Affordable Care Act was not going to get repealed by Trump and Ryan right. and McConnell. And and they fell thumbs down, uh, John McCain. Thumbs down short. Yeah. I mean, people have to actually vote at the end of the day. But I think the, the view is the progressives would rather at the end of the day get something than nothing. Like, take your pick. Is that the view, though? Because it yeah. that's not what they're saying. I know that's not what yeah. they're saying, but I think the people they that know. I talk to um, seem to feel at the end of the day that they'd rather get some, that they're going to, at the end of the day, they're going to bend because a trillion dollars is a lot of money. But I hear you saying no, Towner. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, you know, Republicans were, you know, moderate mainstream Republicans frequently plagued by the Freedom Caucus and the ideological purity that is required by the Freedom Caucus all the time. The famous Jim DeMint quote, I'd rather have a, a what do you say, a, a 40 seat uh, Republican Senate. Uh, that is ideologically pure than a than a 60 vote Senate that can that can govern with moderates included. I feel like that's the same thing coming out of the progressives right now, to be quite honest with you. The progressive caucus has ballooned. It's now up to nearly 100 members, uh, of which 49 of them are on record as of right now saying they're going to vote against the inf bipartisan infrastructure package if they don't see a significant three and a half trillion dollar uh, reconciliation bill. Uh, they don't want to negotiate with Mansion and Cinema. They say they vote that down if the number comes down, and they're going to have to get rolled. But there's a good chunk of them who don't want to get rolled. So um, how do you think it gets done then? At, at the end of the day, the moderates are the one that rolled complete to be really okay. I mean, they got to negotiate something with Mansion and Cinema. They got to figure out how to have additional offsets. They got to figure out exactly the provisions. And Mansion and Cinema have been telling them they had White House meetings with the president, each of them individually. They've been telling them the exact provisions that are upsetting them. And they are going to look, the Democratic leadership is looking for ways right now to get rid of those specific provisions. Cinema told the administration, I got a couple problems with some of the corporate and individual tax increases that are in this piece of legislation. So you saw Democratic leadership come out yesterday in the strangest press conference that has ever happened in congressional leadership history. Uh, Nancy Pelosi walks in for her normal weekly press conference with uh, with Majority Leader Schumer and uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen in tow and yeah, yeah. announces a framework of offsets that doesn't exist. It's like just well, a, they held up. They, they, I, they literally held up a blank piece of paper. 
It was, was amazing. Amazing. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. They had no plan going into that press conference, and they just invented yeah. stuff on the fly. But, but Towner, what you think the moderates get rolled to get this done? But that's the Senate you're talking about, right? First, it's got there's a vote Monday. Well, there may be a vote Monday in the House. First, you got to get this thing out of the House. We're talking about the infrastructure bill. You you don't. Yeah, the infrastructure bill. But also they want to vote now on reconciliation next week. They want to piece together something. The, The one thing I learned working on the House floor for a number of years with the Rules Committee is this. And vulnerable members will tell you this all day long on the House floor. I am willing to vote on something and explain it to my constituents. But if you try to make me vote on it twice, I'm going to tell you no. And that's exactly what's happening in the House right now. They're telling them, you can vote. Please vote for this three and a half trillion dollar package. It's going to get pared down quite a bit and it'll come back and you'll love it. And the moderates are saying, no, I'm voting once. You tell me what the final deal is. And I'll cast my ballot and I'll deal with it uh, come November of next year. But I'm only voting once and we're not playing this game where you're just ping ponging it back and forth in between the House and the Senate uh, and making me vote for a high number before I get the lower number. And that's the problem they've run into. Well, and Pelosi made her deal or came to her understanding, however you want to characterize it, with the. Gottheimer and the the problem solvers for a vote Monday on the infrastructure package. That that was a little surprising to me, but I I do think I know you're not her biggest uh, supporter, Howard. But I I I believe that Biden and Pelosi are going to figure out how to do this. I Nancy, I'm not a Nancy Pelosi supporter. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, I'm not a supporter, but I'm. But I, I'm an admirer. I, she knows what she's doing. She, she, ha, she has figured out a way to do this. We just don't get what it is yet. Listen, um, I think you guys made some really good points earlier about Obamacare and the fact that you can't remember all the machinations of it. And frankly, it was the same thing with TARP that I was involved in TARP got voted down by the house. Right. The first time. And who remembers that? I mean, Towner remembers it because he was there. <laughs> right. Um, you know it, Mark, I know it, but well, it, it's irrelevant sorry. to like, yeah. that's not what people, like we were on the edge of a cliff and the house voted it down and we still made it through. And that's all anybody remembers. And, and that they hated, of course. Um, Right. I was going to say that like the ACA and like whatever we're going to call the the Biden agenda, TARP actually ended up getting judged on its merits and I think judged unfairly. But but it wasn't about how it got passed. It was about what it said. So. I think this bipartisan bipartisan infrastructure, I mean, it's it's not getting. I don't believe it's getting approved next week. Um, Towner, I think you share I, that view. I think it's going to get voted down on Monday. Right. And by the way, that's they're going to hold it in the House. They can vote right. on it again. They can vote yeah. on it again. It's a Senate amendment, but it's going to get voted down uh, and it's going to lay bare, uh, you know, the issues that that they have and the, the lack of 
of a plan, quite frankly, on reconciliation that the Democratic leadership in the White House, they, they, they don't but have right now. But that's the TARP point, isn't it? And the ACA point. It's going to get voted down and then it's going to get voted up at some later date. And when somebody in Columbus, Ohio, to pick a big 10 town, is driving on a on a new bridge, they, they aren't going to know or care that it got voted down and then up and sideways. There's one big difference on this, though. Um, you know, with TARP, you voted it down, negotiations happened, the bill came back with changes, and it passed. On ACA, to a certain extent, you know, there was there was efforts to, to make the changes to get it to passage. Uh, you know, the farm bill uh, 10 years ago, for example, was a huge failure in the House. Changes were made. It passed. We have two bills here. It's not one bill that we're talking about, oh, let's go back and make some changes to it. This is two competing viewpoints on which direction the country is headed. And those two viewpoints are held by the exact same party. It's not like convincing some people in the other party to come on board. This is moderate Democrats want the bipartisan infrastructure package. Progressive Democrats could care less about that. They want the reconciliation bill. This is two competing views within one party. And it's a different scenario because of that uh, singular point. While the debt ceiling and a government shutdown are also being uh, debated. So it's 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 even more than just two moving parts. That's exactly right. Now, I feel good about the government shutdown. I don't think the government's going to shut down. You feel good because the government will shut down? I don't think it will. I don't think it will. It's the one thing that they've negotiated on a bipartisan basis. Like everybody, Republicans and Democrats are big fans of the extension of government funding through December 3rd. Um, and the funding for Afghan resettlement, uh, refugee resettlement, and the natural disasters. Everybody well, seems the, to be Yeah, Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys. Uh, Inspiring. It. I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. And I guess I went into this podcast thinking about just how grim of a picture it is that we're there's all this division, but, but maybe at the end of the day, it, that doesn't matter so much. You kind of convinced me that the the way the sausage gets made matters less than the flavor at the end of the day. And, and we'll see where it lands. Well, yeah. I, I think we've proven that anything Pounder and I agree on is right. You got to get you guys disagreeing i mean <laughs> let's talk let's talk voting rights we didn't yeah, even exactly. get to my subject <laughs> all right i want to go toe-to-toe uh, with towner on voting rights in the filibuster <laughs> all right well we will leave it there uh we will be, be back next week maybe with the martins although maybe <laughs> it's time for the kids to take a uh long-term hiatus now we miss them but um guys have a great weekend and we will see everybody back next week You too. Enjoy the Ryder Cup. Go USA. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.